Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me on the From Nowhere to Somewhere podcast. My name is Luke Staten. The reason behind this creation is to share words of wisdom, hope and optimism through conversation that can show us just what's possible in life. I've been truly inspired by the words I have not only listened to, but deeply heard from the people I've shared conversations with. I hope you enjoy hearing how everyday people overcome trials and tribulations and when faced with adversity, find a way to use this to their advantage. Common theme throughout, from all the different guests on the series, from wherever they are from, whatever beginning, whatever background, is they all have a desire for more from life. They all want to live a life of fulfillment. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I do creating. Thank you for joining me. Jody, thank Hello. you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. 30 years of friendship, nearly. So I think I met you in 1993, 1994 mm. at the FA National School of Littleshaw. And as I was on the train on my way to London today to speak with you, a story came to my mind. I thought, I've got to start with that. So we'll talk about Littleshaw in a few moments, but I remember being 17 and we both left Lillishaw, you went off to Chelsea, I went off to Blackburn Rovers, and I'd signed my first professional contract. And in between seasons, I came to visit you and an old friend of ours, Mark Gower, and a few of us went out in London. And the first day you said, come on, States, we'll do a bit of shopping. Now, I was from Retford, Nottinghamshire, as you know, where not much happens. And I'd never heard of designer clothes. And you took me shopping. And uh, I remember bought a pair of these Gucci shoes, Gucci loafers, brown suede, I brought these cream Armani jeans. I'd never heard of Armani. And I bought this orange Ted Baker shirt from Harrods. And the lady served us actually said she was Ted Baker's mum. I don't know if that was true or not. And I remember this vividly. And I spent about 500 quid on this outfit. And all I was thinking, if my old man sees this on my bank statement, he's not going to be happy because my dad had no money, so cautious. And we went out that night to Hammersmith Palais. Do you remember? Yep. And it was, a, it was a phone party. And that was the end of the Gucci loafers. It was the end of the cream jeans and it was the end of the orange. And I remember we went out, we had the best time ever. And, and I got back from London to Retford on the train. And as my dad picked me up, the first thing he said to me was, how much money did you spend this week in London? And I was like, not much. He said, are you sure about that? Because he used to see all my stuff. I spent about 500 pound on an outfit that I wore once and it was ruined. But what I loved about that is because I came into your world, which your world was London. And when I first met you as a youngster, what stood out to me about you was how streetwise you were, how knowledgeable about situations you were that I knew nothing about in terms of fashion, music, culture. And I was just this little kid that never heard of design, never really heard of hip hop music, never heard of rap music. And all of a sudden I'm rooming with you and I'm starting to learn about stuff. And I'm like, I like this kind of vibe. I like this clothes, I like this style. So you was always the kid that I looked to and like learned from you as a youngster because you, it was like people from London was like 10 years ahead of where people like me was. And our friendship now has, has, has gone on for like 30 years where I had the good fortune to come to your wedding and see you get married. And, and now we sat here today, which feels very surreal that we're having this conversation of two people who have known each other so long that lives went off in total different paths. But there's one common theme that's kept us together is where I believe that we're both good people that enjoy being around good people, hence why we sat here today. Can you remember that weekend in London? Yeah, of course you can. Um, at, like you said, it was the, the first time that you'd come down and 
not to make you feel bad, but it was obvious that you'd wasn't used <laughs> to that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it was good fun, and and I I, I believe in in like we we're still friends with some of our pals that was at Lily Shaw from many many years ago, and I, I still believe in getting those different experiences. And all right, I didn't come to Retford for yeah. <laughs> a weekend, but. Um, yeah, and I think you're you're right. That the common theme is we enjoy being around good people, and there's a reason why you like so many of our mates that are now your mates as well at the yeah. West London Rams, like in the Vets team, because they're good people. And um, I think not just because you're sat here opposite me now, but I, I think I was lucky a long time ago to meet you and to have you as a mate, and I'm I still feel lucky today. Yeah, I appreciate that too. And when I think back to the days that we met at Lillishaw, what do you think it was that connected me and you all those years ago? Because it was 32 boys that all lived together for two years from age of 14 to 16. Yeah, we roomed together. we become friends. We've stayed friends for such a long time. I've not ever thought about this in this much depth, but as we sat here talking out loud, what do you think it is that connected us all those years ago? Well, I think initially it was because you was a good player. Um, and you was in my position as well, and you wasn't too far above me as far as height-wise. So I think it, we're both little. Yeah, we're both quite um, tenacious, and I rated you as a player. Um, wasn't much difference between us, I don't think, apart from you was left-footed and I was right. But I remember just going, "Coy is a good player, and if you're in my position, I'm going to have to do better than you." Mm. In in all those trials that we went to. And thankfully, we was lucky that we both ended up getting in. And I remember thinking in the trials going for Lillishaw that there's no way that we're both getting, we're both small. You know how everyone used to speak about when you're younger, oh, he's too small, he'll never make it, he'll do this and that. And I remember thinking that, well, they're surely not gonna take both of us. And even, I remember speaking to other people's parents that were in the, the trials that were sort of from down south and even people that were talking about um, who was going to be lucky enough to make the final 16 and even that was a conversation that was being said then oh you'll have to get in over the the lad from uh, yeah. up from the midlands like because they, they won't take both of you and then luckily we we both got in and then the first year of rooming together you get put in the room so we didn't mm. choose that like we did second year yeah. but yeah, and then obviously the, the the fact that we were rooming together and sharing every waking minute of most days together, we managed to develop a, a friendship quite quickly, to be fair, even yeah. before we was kind of mates-mates, like we was kind of drawn to each other, I think, like you said, because we liked a good laugh and yeah. we enjoyed training and, and yeah, we, we wanted to make the most of our time, I think. And, and I, I can remember that you seemed to take that the role in our friendship back then, you seemed to take that taking care of me type thing that you might not have known you was doing it, but if I ever got into any grief with one of the other boys, you would be the first one that would come flying in. And I wouldn't often know there was any grief happening, but you would spot things before I spotted it. You know, and I don't know. I think that was just because you're my mate. Yeah. Like, as much as there was, like, obviously there was 32 of us, the, the, the older age group and 16 in our year, I think because we was really close, that's just a natural, that was just, I don't know, a natural reaction. Like, obviously, I don't, I remember a couple of things maybe of that, but I don't remember it a lot, mm. do you know what I mean? But yeah, I think it's just how you are when there's people that you care about and you're, you're muckers with, then that's, that kind of 
that happened. That, that was an attribute of yours that always stood out to me from the moment we met till, till today, that loyalty to your mates and your family and your friends, that, that no matter what, I'll be there to support you and I'll take care of you. And does that come from the environments that you started in in life? Or, or have you ever thought of that and gone, you know what, I'm so passionate about helping these people? Um, I, I don't know if I would attach it to, I don't know, anything particular. I mean, I, I obviously, I grew up in a, <clears throat> in a place on a council estate that was, you kind of looked after your own. Like, as much as there was, there was all sorts that went in, went on where I grew up, it would be also be a place that you could leave your front door open. Um, do you know what I mean? It, people wouldn't be able to get in to our estate and do anything wrong because it would be sorted by the people around you. Now, granted, that obviously doesn't always develop into, I don't know, maybe looking out for each other. There was certainly things that went on within the estate between people that wasn't really looking out for each other. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know, I, I wouldn't necessarily attach it to uh, maybe my upbringing. I, I don't think I got that through, I, I, I certainly wouldn't, how I was with my friends, I never got through how my my dad was. My dad never, I never used to think he had mates. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So I, um, but I certainly developed it and I, the loyalty side, I think, I don't know, I think it's just, I think it's just in you, I think. Where do you learn that though? Because I, I think people say it's just in you, but I think you've got to see something to think, I admire that, I want to be like that, or I don't want to be like that. So you're saying there about your dad, you didn't think he had mates, he wasn't someone you was looking at going, I'm going to, I like the way this guy behaves, I'm going to model it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, as I said, like, like going, my earliest memories are going to play football and maybe not necessarily... Um, being taken to football by my dad and other people had their like their parents that were always there. My parents were my mum never used to like going to watch me play. She didn't like it because all the other kids were a lot bigger than me. My dad, I don't think, was that too bothered about me playing football, so never really used to be there. It was rare that he was there. And I think maybe there was an element of I thought, oh well, I'm on my own or these are my teammates, the ones that I liked. I wanted him to know that I'd felt that way about them as well. As I said, I think you get to a point of, certainly when you get old enough to kind of know what's right and what's wrong. I don't know, when you're 13, 14, 15, mm. when you're going through your teenage years, I think um, being a being a good mate and or being a good teammate was quite high up in where I kind of wanted to be, like, do you know what I mean? So I, I, if I valued friends, if I valued teammates, I wanted them to, I wanted them to know. Do you think that's from maybe wanting something that to be a part of something that maybe when you go to the football, these guys are my family, like they, they take care of me. I want to look after them too and show my worth of being valuable to them. And yeah, I mean, I never really, f I don't think I felt that it was me wanting to show my worth. I just felt that it was something that came naturally to me as far as, like I said, I, I I liked being around the lads. Yeah. I liked being a good mate. I liked, and I had different the the difference differences in my friendship groups growing up were so diverse. I mean, I could tell you about. I'm still friends with people I went to school with, um, people from my estate, um, people that I played football with when I was younger. They're so different now. Granted, you can. 
I think the sign of someone who, who's a decent fella is someone who can maybe go amongst all those different groups. But that wasn't always the case for certain people. I knew that there were certain mates that I couldn't bring around other mates because maybe how they were or how they viewed life was totally different to the others. Like some of the things that my pals were into growing up was totally different to things that you were yeah. into growing up. Do you know what I mean? Like so, what? Give me an example of what cultural differences it Yeah, well, I mean, I had, I had older mates that were kind of wrapped around drugs and doing all sorts of things, like I said, on, on the estate. But the value in which that I would maybe see our friendship growing up would be like when there were certain things about to happen around the estate, they would go, yeah, yeah, you've got to, you've got to go home. Like, what, look after you like? Yeah. So like, yeah, you can't be here. They was saying it was going to really? go. And then, yeah, you, this is not for you. You're, this is, you're, you're trying to be a footballer. You've got to get away. And granted, I knew what was different, but because a lot of my friends growing up were maybe a little bit bigger than me, bigger, they were taller than me, obviously, <laughs> but older than me, um, those were things that I kind of realised the older I got that that was them kind of looking out for me, mm -hmm. like not not leaving me out of anything. That was them going right, yeah, this is not the path that you should be should be going down. Now I was lucky enough to go to Lillyshaw, so I missed out on maybe a lot of the the years where other people can maybe get um, caught up into the in in the wrong things, and some even did after those those age groups and. There's some of them that are in totally different places now, but there are also some people that was maybe involved in stuff when we were younger that are now living a, a really good life and totally far far removed from what they was maybe doing at 15, 16, 17, do you know what I mean? So they knew that you, you had this desire for football and wanted to protect you from, and that's great, they won't encourage you into a way of life. Yeah, I think that the fact that, that some of them was older than me, that they were a little bit more mature and knew that, yeah, whether I'd have been good value for what was ever going on at that point or not, yeah. I don't know. I mean, as I said, I've seen quite a, a lot growing up and I used to get the, I remember I always used to hear the people talk about when I finally became a footballer and I was, oh yeah, he's, he does drugs, he does this. And I was like, why on earth would I get get into drugs or take drugs now that I'm a footballer when it was around me growing up. Like I've seen all sorts growing up and never once did it cross my mind to be involved in taking drugs or anything. Mm. And it used to make me laugh when all these people that are pretending that, oh yeah, he does this, he does that. And I used to have, even my own family, I remember my dad once saying that oh, he'd been down the pub and someone said, oh yeah, I'd seen, I'd seen your seen your boy in here like in the toilets doing drugs and I was like and he was actually asking me the question I was thinking for one you're not in a position to ask me about anything um especially regarding drugs and I'm like the fact that he was believing some person from his the pub or supposedly that said to him said to him in the pub over his own son who if you knew me if you knew me like how you, you know me now or even just how anyone close to me knew me growing up. I was so like against yeah. drugs. How could you even like listen to that? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I kind of get it in a, in a way where if someone had said it to someone who doesn't really know me, but you're supposed to be saying it to me, me old man in a pub and yet me old man wants to come home and 
try and question me about things. I'm like, oh, you don't even know me if yeah. you think for one second that, you, that I would be involved in taking drugs. Like, and, and you said there that your attitude was looking at your dad and say, who are you to come to me with this? For what reason did you feel that way about him bringing that to you? Well, I just felt that for starters, him as a as a man really weren't I didn't maybe respect him too much as a, as a as a man as it was but then to actually come and question me who live I live my life right and I look after the people that I should be looking after yeah for him to ask me stupid questions like that used to just make me think yeah that's the fact that you're even saying that is probably probably why I don't respect you as much as maybe most sons should respect yeah. their dads. Whereas you'd want him to straight away dismiss it and say, I heard that at the pub, but not question you. Yeah, well, if he knew me a little bit more, and maybe kind of got to know me a little bit more, I, I suppose he would have seen that it's pathetic, like, especially whoever you're talking to in the whatever <laughs> silly little pub that you're in, do you know what I mean? So where did the football interest come from then? Like you said, your mum weren't into it, your dad weren't into it. I, I, do you know what? I don't, I, I don't know. I just I knew that when there was, we had like, a, we used to live above a shop on North End Road at the spa. And it was like, there was a balcony on our, in our flat. There was just a balcony that you kind of shared with someone. And I just remember my earliest memory just being kicking a ball there. So obviously, I think back then everyone, if you was a boy, you, you got a football, didn't you? Um, and then I remember one of my one of my dad's mates from the local pub was saying he should go and play for this local team down Lily Road Rec. And yeah, funny enough, it it was my dad who took me there when I was six. And then I played in this game. I think I, was, I don't know. I was about three, four years younger than the people that were playing. And uh, I think a couple of the other parents have said. I can't believe how well he's doing for someone so small and he's so young. Like I think the others were like nine, ten. Do you know what I mean? And I was six. But that was it. As I said, my mum was into boxing. Like my uncle was into boxing. My dad weren't into any anything. So it was like it was just. I think one of the early experiences I had was my best mate in primary school. His dad used to run a a football team at the Lily Road Rec, and I started playing for them. So that was it. And then, so did you used to practice playing football on the council estate? Would people play outside? Would yeah, everyone football? was always playing. Everyone was always yeah. playing. And we had like, I would, as I said, I would always, I would, it was rare that I would play football with people my own age. It was always the older lot. But that's where I think, obviously, years later, I realised that being small was, it can be difficult. But I think all I'd done was play up and train with, even when I was getting better at and, and playing for Chelsea and stuff like that, I always just train years above, but but also on the estate and playing in some tough, tough games mm. um, with people a lot older. You, you learn how to look after yourself or at least how to avoid some of the problems that you would get playing against people that were a lot mm. physically better than you. And do you think that's where you developed your tenacity? Because you was always, I remember coming across you as that, 14-year-old, you was—you always came across, whether you felt it or not, you always looked super confident. You always looked like you was going to dominate. Any field that you walked onto, you always thought, 
if I'm training against Jody today, I've got to be on form because this guy just so focused, so confident and so good as well because I'd never come across anybody as good as you at that age because there weren't anything that you couldn't do. Your left foot, whatever you could do on your right foot, you could do on your left foot. And it wasn't until I got to know you a bit more that I think, did you break your femur as well as yeah. a young kid? How old was you? When you... Funny enough, I'd done that training with people that were like three, four years old for me. So it was, that was probably a bad thing. Um, I'd done it when I was 11. So yeah, I'd done it training in a, I used to play for a local boys team called Chelsea United. And I'd done it training in a school with the under 16s and I was mm. 11. Um, but because I was good, people would still let me join in on, so I remember training at Chelsea at Battersea Park with my under 12s or whatever it was, leaving there, getting a train to Parsons Green and then training in a, in a school around the corner. And then that's when I snapped my femur because I was playing with 15, 16 year olds. One of them kicked me. I don't know, I don't know whether it was the kick or when I, I fell and then they, two of them landed on top of me. It's when I snapped my femur, yeah. So that obviously wasn't great, but um, yeah, it, it was one of those things where... That's incredible that you come back from that though, that quick. Cause the I think because I was young, because yeah. I was young. When you're 11, obviously your, your bones heal a lot. I mean, you can still now, I mean, to be fair, I, even when I've had loads of scans and stuff, people still view what's kind of going on with my femurs. Like, oh my God, they, I remember times when I, I went for a knee scan when I was really young at Chelsea and they, they thought, oh, we've, we might have a problem here because obviously the way the the femur would be looking at that, like the calcification of what is just new bones just formed over it. There's still like a lump there. Because yeah. um, it's the hardest bone to break in your body and it was like, oh, well, you don't hear many of people snapping their femur in football. It's normally car crashes. But because I was so young and my bones were obviously not fully developed and that, it was quite easy for it to break. But going forward, the fact that it happened so when I was young probably helped it heal as well as it did. But... And, and do you think, you know, all them, them councillor state kickabouts playing with guys two to three, four years older than you, do you think that that made you stronger as a character in terms of playing football and off the field too? Because I'm not just talking, you, you was always came across super confident on the pitch, but always off it as well. And I don't know if that's because you was around older people a lot more or... Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think the, <laughs> there's a there's a grounding involved when you're on a tough council estate with some tough older boys who could play football. I think there's a grounding as far as when realising that you're not at their level, um, learning how to deal with it and learning how to deal with getting kicked about a bit. Um, the confidence side, I was always confident in football because I knew I was good. Mm. And I had, a, I had something in me where, like I said to you, when when I first saw that you was in my position going for the Lily Shaw trials, I would always view whoever I'm up against in centre midfield as going, right, I've got to try and get the better of you today. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I just think, I think that was in me and I've, I, I've always had that. I wanted to win and I wanted to do well for myself and um, I just think that, yeah, as I said, I don't remember not having that. I'd want to beat you if we was playing Monopoly. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, I do. I do think that it's something that okay, you can help enhance or help maybe cultivate a little bit of winning mentality by doing certain things. Um, 
But for me, I don't remember not going in. I mean, I, I remember crying at games. But Lily, I'm talking about Lily Road Rec. If I played crap and we hadn't won, I, it upset me. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of a lot of my I mean, my mum tells my missus now when I'm moaning about my kids cry too easily. And my mum will tell my missus, "Go, he used to be like it. He used to cry." Like, but I think that's all part of just wanting to win so bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as as I said, I, I I don't remember not wanting to win badly. I remember you crying. Well, I think we was all crying when we played in the England under 16s European Championship against France. Against France, and and, yeah. and it was like that. They brought in that next goal, basically wins rule. Yeah. Golden goal, yeah. Golden goal. That was it. And, yeah. And it was John Curtis at the Gave time. Gave away the penalty, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, devastated because no, I, I thought horrible. we was going to win it. Yeah. I thought we was going to win it. And we believed that we was good enough to win it. We'd, like, obviously, we, I thought we played better than France that day. And mm. even I didn't, I didn't care that if it was going to penalties, I felt, right, we'll, we'll beat these and then we'll go on and win the tournament. So, yeah, I mean, listen, the older you get, uh, I suppose you get a little bit better at dealing with... Mm. Um, being let down or dealing with adversity, but yeah, there's, there's certainly plenty of times in football that I've had golf ball sized lumps in my throat and or just openly crying because it means so much, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. so important. Yeah, so you go from 11 breaking your femur to then three, three nearly only three years later getting selected to go to Little Shore. And uh, I heard you saying somewhere it was a coach, Bob Osborne at Chelsea, said mm. to you, I think it's the best thing that you could do yeah. is going for these trials. Can you remember that? Absolutely, because like, I was really close to Oz. So, like, Oz could see that I was, I had a talent. And there was maybe sometimes during my time at Chelsea where I was maybe feeling a little bit undervalued or he felt that certain things weren't good enough supporting me. So he used to, do like extra training for me. Um, he he would always make sure that I kind of got home from places like picked up, dropped off. Because as I said, my dad never used to take me anywhere. Mm. I used to try and get myself to places, and um, sometimes it was you'd have, you'd have other boys going, "Oh, he favours Jody," and like he would be like, "No, no, he always makes sure everyone gets home. Let's get it <laughs> right." But he obviously saw something in me which. At the time, probably when I was maybe 12, 13, is exactly what I needed. I needed to feel that I was valued. And he also, not just made me feel like that, but he also improved me as well because he made me work on all the things that I should be getting better at. Because mm. um, he knew that I wasn't going to be the biggest. But he also knew that I was talented in so many different areas that he was like, right, if you can get into Lillyshaw, and get you off this estate because some of the some of the coaches wouldn't even drop drive me into my estate. They'd be there's been a couple of instances where someone would drop me home and then the car would be stopped on the way out. Really? So it's like not not Oz, not never Oz because yeah. it, it was obvious he always had the same car and people would know that it was me getting dropped off. But sometimes, yeah, I mean, he knew full well some of the things that would go on around my area and um, yeah, he he felt that me getting out and going to Lillyshaw being fully focused on football and away from maybe some of my friend groups would would be the, the best thing for me. And from a development aspect as far as football is concerned, he valued Keith Blunt, who was the, the coach there, and a lot of kind of what they 
what Oz was trying to instill in me before I went there, Keith Blunt was very much similar. Mm. And, and do you look back at that now as a kind of a pivotal moment in your life that you did get in Shore? Because you're right, the age of 14 to 16, I remember it just being from Retford that when I left, things weren't happening. And when I used to come back for the weekend, people was doing stuff that they didn't do six months ago. Mm. And then I would get to 15. And because we were so isolated at Shore, you come back to your own environment for two days mm. and then go back to an elite environment that everybody's striving to become professional footballers. That when you're around that energy, I think you live like them. You eat well, you sleep well, you train hard, you want to be a footballer. You go home to, for two days and you see your friends doing stuff, drinking, drugs. Mm. But you don't feel that you're in that anymore because you're, you're living in this different place. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you used to go home, did you used to see this happening? Did you, did you have to remove yourself totally from your environment? Nah, because if I'm being honest, I saw it all before I went to Lillyshaw. Mm. I'd seen it all close up what had been happening. So I, as much as people would say, oh, you need to go to Lillyshaw to get yourself out of the environment for a couple of years, it'll be good for you. I'd never ever felt that, I felt that I was strong-willed enough and knew what I wanted from from life as far as being a footballer I would override anything like that. As I said, I, I did see it all before I went to Lillyshaw. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you never know. Sometimes things can happen that's out of your hands. I mean, I certainly had an experiences of that even as a footballer that sometimes you're maybe in a certain place that you're not you're not doing wrong but then if you're in a certain area or a certain place and something happens then sometimes it's out of your hands in how you can be affected by it anyway mm. um so probably that was more the kind of the blessing that i had as far as taking me out of my environment for a, for a couple of years but like you said you go home and then i still was pals with people that were were up to things when I'd come back from the show. It was just again you had you, you had to choose your moments of when you would maybe be around it and when you, and when you wouldn't. Yeah, and, and then for someone like Bob Osborne, did he get the opportunity to see you make your Chelsea debut just after you were seventeen? Yeah. Um so Oz was obviously still at still at Chelsea and um at at that time he was still just coaching but yeah, Oz was always there, and like I said, he took a really keen eye on John Terry as well and helped mm. help JT. But he even ended up becoming a kit man as well after um, for for a spell. So no, I mean Oz was was extremely pleased with me, and even years years later when I I then started coaching at the academy, Oz was still there. Really? He's not there anymore, but he was still there initially when I went back there. So. I mean, if you, I'm sure you could speak to a lot more footballers or a lot, lot more players that have come through the academy that Bob Osborne had had, a, had an effect on. And even people away from Chelsea as well. I mean, he was very much involved in a lot of the, the Middlesex area from where he was from and um, having an influence and helping maybe other young kids get out of their environment as well, making sure that they're, they're not surrounding themselves with maybe the wrong thing. Well, if you don't have a Bob Osborne, you're not getting to training, are you, or getting home? It's like, how how does that happen if you haven't got parents that have got transport or take your places? Your opportunity mm. can be lost. And I think today's era in sport, especially that, that you wouldn't lose the opportunity because your environment, because I think they're better with that now. Mm. But 25 years ago, when we started playing football, it wasn't that kind of comfort package that clubs offered, was there? No, um, and and like you said, it was sometimes it would be 
there'd be four of us in Ozzy's car and he'd have to make a round trip from dropping me off wow. at West Ken at North End Road and then he'd go somewhere else, Shepherd's Bush maybe, and then on to Hounslow. Um, and it would just be, obviously now, the way that they get picked up and dropped off, it's like the norm, if, especially if you're at a, a top academy. Mm. Um, and also, it's not. I, I think a lot of it is, back then it was more your your journey. If you had to get yourself some places, I knew some of my mates that would miss training because they couldn't be bothered with the journey of getting there because yeah. it meant two trains, then it meant a bus. And rather than getting those two trains and a bus, they'd maybe just hang around with some of their mates. Whereas if they had someone picking them up, it's a lot easier to go, yeah, I am yeah. going training and then getting back. But then sometimes when you're getting home at 10 o'clock at night and you're 12 years of age on trains, it's obviously <laughs> not, not ideal. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you made your debut then, did you actually walk to the ground or did you get a lift? No, no, I walked. Did you? Yeah, yeah. But again, <laughs> it was like um, uh, probably about my first eight to ten games in the in the first team. I was still uh, just off the North End Road. So I used to sometimes walk out and hope that a 28 bus would come past, jump on it just to Fulham Broadway and then walk up. But sometimes if it weren't, rather than wait and then if like a lot of, London buses, if it takes longer than it, it should, then you, you've you almost wasted the time that you could be making walking up the North End Road. So I, as I said, I remember walking home. Sometimes it was nice walking home, especially if the team had won and I'd played. It was sometimes nice to walk home down the North End Road and seeing people that you've walked past for 15 years, you know what I mean? Um, people start to recognise you. Yeah, efforts. yeah. The first, the first time I made my debut, I remember walking past the pub on the outside of my estate, and loads of them come out and clap me, clap me in. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. it was, it was on Sky. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as I said, our first eight to ten games, I think I walked from my estate. Yeah. And how was that then? So, growing up, mum and dad are at home and. Not, not, not that they're not supportive, but they didn't take you to games. They weren't really interested in that. And then all of a sudden, you become a first-team player at Chelsea, and people on the estate are clearly going to talk about you know of you. You're now getting a bit of limelight. Was your parents surprised that their son had done this because they hadn't watched that rise in you? How, how did they deal and handle that? Uh, do you know? I, I don't know. Actually, that didn't really. I always remember my mum. There'd be a few times that they'd. Then, I don't know, there might be arguments in the house and my mum would always say that he's he's doing it on his own. There was times when we was at Lillyshaw and I had maybe opportunities to leave and go to other clubs that were offering money to the family, which my dad at the time was like, yeah, I'd like to have a look at that. <laughs> that um, because of the offer. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I was never like that. I was really happy at Chelsea and... I wanted to play for Chelsea and I always remember my mum saying he's done it on his own so far we ain't get we ain't getting involved now which obviously they maybe had a difference of opinion but my mum was always like he's done it on his own um let him go where he's happy mm. um so yeah I mean listen I I'm not sure I, I think they'd be surprised just because it was I suppose it's nice not everyone can become a footballer but yeah. um it wasn't like there wasn't a bit of a build-up. I'd, I'd had newspaper articles. I'd had people maybe telling my parents that, oh, I've got a really good chance. But I suppose until it happens, um, you, you just never know. I mean, um, I know that they was they was 
proud of me and, mm. and stuff. But like like I said, it was it wasn't sort of like a journey where oh they was involved every step of the way. They obviously was. They still had to let me go to training. They still had to like sign when I'm signing on yeah. the schoolboy forms and stuff. Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, I, I think they're surprised just because it's not the easiest thing to do. And um, but at the same time, yeah, it's I suppose it's something that wasn't too far away because I always made it clear I wanted to be a footballer. But it was so fast that because we both go from being at Littleshaw, going to our clubs. And I remember uh, my dad said, Jody's on the bench tonight for Chelsea. Mm. So I rushed down to the pavilion, um, the Blackburn Rovers training ground, because we didn't used to have Sky and stuff like that in, in, in the digs. I got the lady, Sylvia, who used to look after us. She went down, opened the pavilion, the whole where... Your Alan Shearers of the world used to train, so I could turn on Sky and watch you. Mm. And I remember going down there and just putting it on. I just was like, because I was similar ages. I just signed, well, no, you was a little bit older than me, so I was still 16 when you played, I think. And I'm sat there watching you run on that pitch and, and do very well, by the way, as well. Your first encounter, I think you got took out a little bit. Mm. You turned with the ball, someone took you down, you stood up, chest out, mm. <laughs> that usual kind of, you know, I'm not just a young kid coming on. I'm going to show you that I'm here to stay. Mm. And I could see that in you from the moment you stepped on the pitch. And and I felt really proud watching someone. I'm like, it's just Jody. It was like, I, I still, when I talk about it now, I still feel that feeling because it was something that I wanted to achieve. It was something I admired and I was striving for, yet never accomplished. Mm. But I remember being sat there watching you run on and just thinking, wow, because you're right, you did do it on your own. There's no doubt about it that, I remember my mum and dad would come and visit us at Lillishaw and you'd come out with me. Mm. And my mum and dad, because your mum mm. and dad didn't have transport, mm. or you, your dad might borrow a van sometimes and come up, or Chelsea would bring them and stuff like that, you know, because mm. it wasn't a common thing that your mum and dad used to come and watch the games. Mm. But my mum and dad used to come and watch and take us out for the afternoon, go for a drink and a bite to eat. So your mum's right there, you did do it on your own. And that takes some doing because I had a lot of support, still didn't make it. So I know how hard it is to make it, even without that foundation. And I look at you now and I think to myself, you know, growing up in that environment of, you know, mum and dad not overly, not, not out of choice, just weren't into football. Did your relationship with your mum and dad shift once you made it? Where, especially with your dad, I know you've talked to me before, uh, often about your relationship with your dad was pretty much non-existent really, or it wasn't a, it wasn't a positive one. Did that relationship become stronger once you made it, or did it just continue as it was? Uh, I, it definitely never became stronger. Well, not with my dad, it never. Um, it probably became stronger with my mum because just I was becoming more of an adult, and I kind of knew what right and wrong was a lot, a lot more. Um, and it was stronger than my mum just because she had to, she, my mum's had a tough, tough life and uh, she's had to go through far, far much worse things than I've ever had to go through. Um, and it just, I think the older I became, the more I appreciated um, her and her ability to try and keep our family together. Um, yeah, it never got stronger than my dad. As I said, if anything, it got worse just because I had I knew how I felt and I was <clears throat> a lot less tolerable of things that I would put up with as a kid mm. do you know what I mean um like what 
Yeah, I just don't, I don't agree with how we treat my mum a lot of the time. Um, without going into it, I, I, as I said, I, I knew what a man should be like and it ain't what he was like with my mum. Um, I know you've become very protective. I even remember when you were young, being very protective over your mother, wasn't you, with your dad? Yeah, well, I had to be. Mm. But like, and my mum don't need protecting, by the way. I'm, as I said, my mum <laughs> had uh, like four brothers and um, she, she was the oldest and she had to look after them when she was younger. And if I, even my uncle now still tells me stories about some of the things that my mum used to do. And I, I think there's there's maybe an element of that sort of side of me is more my mum. Um, she was small, but she was um, feisty and not afraid of things. Not to say that I ain't never been afraid of things, but I'm just like, yeah, as I said, I, my, my relationship with my mum is still as strong as ever now. Um, and like I said, I know that my mum's had tough moments in her life and she's, she's managed to come through them. So sometimes where I've had difficult moments or things that are going on, you, like, I only need to look across the way my mum and it's like, she's come through a lot worse than what I have had to, so. Is your mum someone that you still look to now for conversations about challenges that you face or do you feel now you're at an age where you don't need that motherly support as much? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we was kind of like that anyway. As I said, I had my own uh, thoughts on how my mum was and knowing what she's gone through. My mum, I wouldn't say was one of them that would share a, a load of stuff. I kind of used to get told more stuff by my nan. She used to tell me more things about what had gone on. Um, and like, yeah, I, probably not now, no. My mum's my a lot older and she's more interested in what her grandkids are doing and being sort of that side of it. But um, like I said, it's, nah, it's, it's not really that we would have that that conversation, she weren't, she weren't really like that, to be honest, my mum, if I'm being brutal. I think they, they, they're from a different generation. Mm. Um, they maybe weren't as, I don't know, you didn't, it weren't really sort of cuddles and stuff when I was young and growing up. Look, um, my mum was sort of brought up to be like, you look after the household, you look after the, your younger brothers. Um, but yeah, if you asked, I'm sure if you asked my mum now, would you, would you have liked to have maybe been a little bit more loving and handing out cuddles? She'd say, absolutely. She's a lot more like it with my my kids um, now. But I think that's just a generational thing of when we were growing up, there was quite a lot of sort of standoffish parenting rather than... 100%. Do you know what I mean? The story that is, I think, a little bit symbolic of that is we never used to sit down and have meals as a family. Mm. So, like, my sister's... I don't know, we'd eat at a different time or eat different things and you'd sit at a, we never had like a table that would fit us or whatever, that little kitchen, it was like sit down thing, but there was too many of us to sit around the table, so you'd sit on the sofa or whatever. And I also remember whenever we did do anything like as a family, to as like meals, it would just always end up my mum and dad arguing because they'd yeah. probably be drinking bowls or something or whatever. And then it's like, I remember when I first got with my missus, like this is obviously 98-ish, so a long, long time ago. And she always used to, so we're talking about a generation thing, whereas my mother and father-in-law, like when I first got with my missus, it was like, yeah, 
come around to my mum and dad's, they're doing dinner, and I'll be like, I'm not going around your mum and dad's for dinner. Why? Why do you keep inviting me around to your? So <laughs> I, I, there was a period where, like, I think her mum used to say, "Does he? What's going on? Like, does he not want to come around here?" Yeah, yeah, right, absolutely. So like, even now, like, it's totally different now. But like, my brother-in-law is always hosting things. Like now, obviously, my mother and father-in-law, I'm around, around there whenever. Um, but there was a period, a long period, where it took me ages to accept that that's just normal. Mm. That is just normal, like, loving family relationship. Like, it, you'd invite people around to come and share dinner, whereas I viewed my whole upbringing of any time you're doing something like that as a family, it ended in murders like, yeah. do you know what I mean so it was like I totally didn't want anything to and I, and I used to I used to go back to just stop asking me like why why and then obviously obviously now we have our own family and stuff but um at that point it was like yeah there was such a contrast mm. to to our upbringings or from di we're different walks of life but at the same time we still had two parents growing up and but one was just a much more loving household and a bit more what i would say now is normal like yeah. i have my own children now and it's for me it's normal but growing up my normal was that never happening yeah another example when i met my missus i didn't eat much kind of my palate was pathetic <laughs> i didn't eat, i i'd grown up on like something chips and beans something chips and everything was normal chips and beans and then you'd have your sunday roast or my mum's mince and mash that was it <laughs> so like when she can't like, you want to go for a chinese or a curry and i'm like oh no like nothing i didn't eat any any other food so what would you be like 18 19 then yeah well to be fair when i got old enough and had my own money at 17 i would go out and eat a lot and i remember at the time the shows how my education was so bad as far as from a food perspective I saw what you'd have a, a pre-match and there'd be a lot of pasta involved. So I then thought, right, I'm not going to eat at home tonight anyway. I'm going to go out and I eat pasta. Honestly, most days in my 17, 18 sort of period, I would go out and I'd go out with my pal and I'd buy us Italian most nights just because I thought, well, pasta's, pasta's what you eat. Like, yeah. if you're trying to be a footballer, not realising they're going, yeah, you shouldn't eat it every day and <laughs> late at night and then go, but like, do you know what I mean? Um, but at the time, it wasn't the worst for me because I was skinny and yeah. still young. But, um, yeah, it, I took a lot of educating from the football perspective, but also just from a social aspect of going to different restaurants and eating different foods. I just, I and grew up on anything, like, kind of different. I, your mum's cooking or whatever you, your mum does is, I think what you, your normal education is, especially when you don't go out and eat anywhere yeah. else. Um, so yeah, it took a few years for me to like liven up and know there was totally loads of lovely other foods out there. <laughs> you know I mean? Is there any other things that you look at and go, God, you know, I was so limited to my vocabulary in them subject just because I'd never seen it before. That as you start to earn your own money, be around different people and, and meeting Lou, your wife, that then was, having a family meal is a normal thing. Was there any other things that you look at and go, God, also, I didn't know that this was there or? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I suppose it, it, where you're lucky as well is that you are actually then a professional footballer earning um, 
a lot more than the average person is earning. So you, so you do then have access to maybe go and do other things. I don't, I'd always be buying magazines and obviously I always loved fashion. Yeah. Fashion, I just knew what, when I was growing up, it was like, oh, I wanted the newest trainers, wanted the newest trackie or like whatever. So that was my, what I saw as fashion or whatever growing up. And then obviously when you get older and you, there's magazines that are out there that you can then see other things. Is mm. I spend far, far too much money on stuff like that that is, I mean, don't get me wrong, I still love clothes and stuff now, but wasted it on that, wasted it on silly cars and stuff. Um, but I think that's part, all part of the process is that if you then come into having a lot more options that are available to you, um, you, you want to... You want to sample it and try it, or and sometimes you got to you got to find out the hard way that yeah you, you shouldn't have been wasting your money on stupid cars or what or what influence did you have around that time when you're like 18, 19, 20, 21, you're starting to earn money that you've never seen yeah you, did who was around you to support I kind of didn't I didn't if I'm being honest because and this is not a slight on anyone in my family I just my my family weren't used to it so. I'd kind of was a pretty head headstrong myself, um, and like I said, the, the the one person that I suppose that you would normally be influenced by would be your dad. You'd go right, I'd, what's he saying? Like you'd you'd li like how you. I remember you talking about your dad. You'd always yeah. listen to your dad. He'd have an influence on you and spending five hundred quid yeah, yeah. in London. That was already in your mind going home because he was going to be on you. I never had that respect for my old man, so. Mm he wouldn't have had no influence on what I was doing anyway. Even if it had brought something to you. To be yeah. Able, yeah. Nah. And also I then came to see even more reasons why I, sh I wouldn't have listened to him to do with stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, as I said, where I was around like friends and I always, I wanted to be able to share kind of what I was doing. I was probably a little bit too open and affluent with, with money that I should have been saving and stuff like that. But that's, as I said, that's nobody's fault but mine. Um, but as far as being influenced and stuff, I mean, I, I could have listened to some of the older pros maybe and people at, at Chelsea at, at different periods when they'd kind of say stuff. But when you're young and headstrong, I suppose you you, you make mistakes. Don't and you? you don't think it's going to stop, do you? It's like, you, you, you know, like I remember being 18 and, as you know, I've got one of the best young contracts a young footballer has seen at that point. And I remember saying to my dad, do you think I should buy a house? And he said, don't worry about that now, son. Just keep focused on your football. So 17 and six weeks, I think, where you make your debut for Chelsea first mm. team, which we talked about earlier, I watched. Then fast forward many years, you then become assistant manager of Chelsea. Mm. And now we're sat here and I'm listening to you talk as your upbringing on the estate and that Bob Osborne character that dropped you, picked you up. When you became a coach and a manager, was there lots of Jody Morrises that you spotted that you think, this kid's got something, but maybe they need the support that you needed in terms of mentorship, uh, a network, lift, transports, or is it so different now? Yeah, there's it's the resources and the, um, the help and the um, willingness to give every kid an opportunity in different areas and to have support is 
I was lucky enough to be at the Chelsea Academy who do an amazing job with that. Neil Barth, who's um, been running the academy for nearly 20 years now, um, has done a great job in developing one of the best academies in the world. And it's not just for how well the team plays on the pitch, it's how, if you look at some of the players that are now playing or come through the academy, they're, they're good human beings. Um, and plenty of, plenty of the kids that have come through are, was going through tough times, tough areas, uh, tough moments in their life. Um, and they had some outstanding support, not just from coaches, but from people that were a lot more qualified in certain areas that they needed help in. I mean, me and you have spoken before about um, children and uh, needing support when they were growing up. And um, what they do now is definitely, definitely a thousand times better than what yeah. was what was available um, in our time, and it, it kind of needs to be as well because of the the modern day world that we're living in now with social media and stuff. The 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 access that to the wrong information kids will have, or the access to um, some form of abuse, is is just too easily too easily done. And and the fact that um, Chelsea are so um, intent on providing the right sort of support for people that is not just to develop them as football players, but it's also to give them the best opportunity of being successful in life, not not mm. just to being a footballer. Because we all know, regardless of what the facilities are and the resources that are available now, making it a footballer, making it as a footballer nowadays is just as hard as it's ever been, especially yeah. with the influx of um, players from abroad. That's a lot higher than it was when we was coming through the. Uh, the importance of giving them support so that they have better life tools and life skills um, is certainly better than what it was in it. And like I said, it needs to be. Who's, who's key characters other than Bob Osborne? Who would you look back with fond memories of the people who think, you know what, I'm pleased you was around when I needed you? Uh, Keith, Keith Blunt is the obviously one of the ones that, that was huge for me. Um, at Lillyshaw because as I said as far as football education and learning how to play the right way and training a certain way I, I still I still looked at um, a lot of the things that he would try and instill and teach to us and I used some of them myself when I was when I was coaching the, the younger generation at Chelsea so like what what was it about him well just I, I think that there's there was a there was a toughness to him and he he made um he made no bones about telling you when he felt that you you needed to be told. Um, I think he was there to educate you and make you a, a better footballer, but he was just as intent on making you a, a better young man. Yeah. Um, and and I like listen. I'm not. I'm not as qualified as a lot of other people in grooming or helping mould. Uh, young men but at the same time I, I, I definitely took um, the stance of that I would I'd prefer to be an honest coach or an honest mentor than someone who would not want to say anything and mm -hmm. I, I think um, as much as I, I realised at times that there was maybe some things that I couldn't be the person to help the, the kid out with um, there was certainly moments where People talk about the new generation now. You can't, you can't say anything to him. You can't do that. I don't believe that. I yeah. don't believe that. I, I coached 
that way, um, yes, there are moments where you need to, it's not like the old days where you can just say whatever and think it's water for ducks back, but there are, there's certainly ways that you can get by with letting young players know that you're not happy with this or they need to be doing more of this. Um, and I think Keith Blunt was really good at that. He didn't, he didn't swear and shout and go mad, yeah. but you certainly knew when he was not happy with you or wanted you to do X, Y, Z. And you I, also knew when you was doing well with him, didn't you? Yeah. And, 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 yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he, he held back on uh, the praise so it, it wasn't diluted. I yeah. think that you, you appreciated when he gave you the, the praise. Um, and I think that's important as well. As I said, I'm, I'm all for people being patted on the back when they deserve it, but I'm also all for people being told when they're not training right or yeah. when they're doing things wrong. Um, as I said, I've, I've coached that way. I'll, I'll always coach that way. Um, I hear, I'm repeating myself, but I just hear so much about, oh, you can't talk to young players like this. You can't, blah, blah. I'm like, I have no problem saying it. And then you, you'd sometimes hear the backlash of that sometimes. They'll be going home and a parent is asking, oh, what's what's being said here? Yeah. But then when you get to the context in which things are being said, you're like, well, yeah. I Whereas mean, if we'd have phoned home and said the coach has said that, your parents were straight away, well, you need to listen to the coach then. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I had an instance at Lillyshaw. I remember when Mr Pickering threw me up against the, mm. the wall and grabbed me by me. The minute I rung home and said, oh, he's put me hands on me, and I was like, well, what did you say then? Yeah. And it's like, when I look back at it, it was like, yeah, I just pushed him to his limit and he flipped. Granted, did, he, yeah. granted, he shouldn't have put his hands on me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was like, yeah, it wasn't the worst thing for me because mm. I'll soon shut up. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, you wouldn't do anything like that now. But yeah. it's, um, as I said, I, I think there's there's certainly a, there's still room for people being honest in coaching and mentoring today. I remember Keith Blunt once said to me, it's always stuck with me, he said, Luke, how you do anything is how you do everything. And it always stuck with me that because... At school, I wasn't so great behaviour focused academically, as you know. There was no effort. Mm. And I remember him sat with me, and his quote wasn't how you do anything, how you do everything, but that's what he was saying to me. Yeah. He said, Look, you can't go to school, mess around, be on report and getting in trouble, and come to training and perform. Mm. It'll cross over. And I didn't believe him until then it did mm. descent, kicking people, or you know, flying into stuff that you should be a bit more composed because I was picking up bad habits six hours a day, then expecting not to bring them mm. to the football field. Mm. And I've always, and, I, and I, th I, I would really like to think I follow that philosophy now at 43. Mm. I wish I had done it at 16. Yeah. But I look back now and I think that stuck with me that because how I am as a friend to you is, mm. is how I am as a father, how as a, I mm. am as a, as a son. I want to be consistently good in all areas because mm. I can't be great friend with you and not put the effort in with that person over there just because I've known you longer or there's more gain for it. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And no, no, absolutely. And like you said, it's not everything that you get you get told or uh, when people are actually right trying to help you. Not everything is how that you can then adapt it and translate into your own life. Yeah. Like there's there's people like I can do things that you do like. But that's me just knowing that I haven't got maybe the same patience as you. Yeah. Um, and you, if if someone asked asked me, all right, is Luke the same person he was when we was 
younger, I'd say absolutely not. Mm. Is he the same person with the good heart and do anything for you? Yeah, but you're a totally different person to what, mm. what we were, which ultimately we're all going to be anyway. We? we get older and more mature or just even certain stages in your life where some people might have an effect on you or whatever it is that you're then doing, like you then focus more on that. But at the same time, as I said, do I think that you've you've changed? Yeah. Have you changed really like from a person inside? No, but yeah. you are totally different. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like the core foundations of the values and the mm. morals, the principles are there. Yeah. Just certain ways of being shifted yeah. because I was thinking I'm not getting the success in life I want. Yeah. I've got to change something. Well, it's not biggest, easy to do. No, exactly. The big, I always felt coming from, even as a player and as whatever, maybe not so much as a human being, but as a player, knowing what you were good at and what you weren't good at was sometimes one of the biggest attributes. Like self-awareness on the football pitch is, would I take so many touches if Patrick Vieira was bearing down on me behind? No, I wouldn't. But then... That's not just me realising that, okay, I, I shouldn't maybe be taking touches here. It's because of who's going to affect that. <laughs> yeah. like, do you know what I mean? So recognising where you were yourself as a player, but then who you're then up against on the pitch was, was huge. And I, I think sometimes a lot of the people trying to become a footballer or trying to improve takes them a long time to maybe get to that period of... That's why I made my debut so young. I was wafer thin and a child really six weeks after my 17th birthday smallest person on the pitch nine and a half ten stone probably. well that's what i mean but it's yeah. like because i recognize that yeah. and would go i could get by in certain situations or i knew that i could take touches and be good in certain areas playing against certain people or when i had room or space but the self-awareness of what you're good at and actually Maybe what you're not as good at is just as important as going, okay, I'm going to develop this part and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I'm not going to try and sprint past you with the football because I can't sprint. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? And making the best of what you have sometimes is, as well as obviously away from football, you then go, well, I'm quite good at that. I'm good at, with communicating with people. I'm good at, I'm patient. I give them my time. You know that you're you're good at that. You then just want to add other things, like yeah. which is why you've gone searching on meeting people from different walks of life, educating yourself in different areas in business. Like, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you're you've taken elements of what you already have, but then you want to add to it. I think that's what I think that's what the best people do anyway. I knew when I went in at Chelsea, I knew football, and I could talk about what was just going on on the pitch. But I instantly knew that I was no good at standing up in front of a room and working a PowerPoint presentation, um, organising uh, a week of planning training sessions and um, organising what players are doing and knowing, OK, they're, they're going to be around at this time, what are we doing? My organisational skills was poor. Yeah. But Neil Bath recognised already going, right, you need to come out of your comfort zone. It's too easy for you talking about on the, you're, you're, when you're on the grass, you're great. You can talk and relay everything you want. If I then went, right, you've got to cover these three topics in your team talk, can you remember them all? Like, and so I, when I used to practice and go, 
I've actually forgot to say that in my team talk. Now, I, I, I did that a lot anyway. Like, there was sometimes where you'd maybe go off on a tangent in your pre-match talk where you kind of ramble for a little bit and then you kind of bring yourself back and remember, oh, I've got to cover this. I've got to make sure that I tell him that he's got to do this. But then when you're doing the pre-match, you, whatever you forget, it's not a problem because you then go, right, I can hit them individually now and I can remind them this, that yeah. and the other. But I remember Neil Bath going... Right, you're no good at presentations because you've never done it. Like, even though I was caretaker manager at St Johnston for a bit, I was still playing, so I didn't I didn't have to do a, a big team talk and sit down. I was the captain already, and there was someone who was helping me with the with the job, so I kind of didn't even have to address it. But he went to me, okay, Roman's got uh, some guests coming in next week. I'm going to give you so you're not talking about football. I'm going to give you the structure of the academy. <laughs> and how it works and you need to you need to tell them these people that are coming from wherever it was and I remember absolutely crapping myself mm -hmm. going I'm gonna have because if I was talking about football I, I, I don't have a problem relaying talking about what you know or being honest about something I think is easy but having to explain something that you're not familiar with and do it in a way that you're unfamiliar with as well was horrible but Neil Bath knowing and being the educator that he, he is was like yeah you're going to hate this but you need to do it and you need to get up, up to speed I went alright yeah. should have gone maybe better could have gone better but it was alright after it was like yeah. it was more like along the lines of right I now have to work a powerpoint and like yeah. with the laptop and stuff but yeah as far as going back to what your original question was I, I think sometimes I, I can I can maybe switch off from people a little bit too quickly. Why do you think that is? I don't know. As I said, I'm, I'm one of those where I think for a while, I'm saying that it would be my 80, you're saying 80 year old person. I kind of know it now. Yeah. But certainly when I was younger, I would either maybe say something that I was thinking a little bit too easily rather than just keeping it to myself. Or I would rule, like I said, rule people out without getting to know maybe why they're talking like that, maybe why they're acting like that. Sometimes um, you can meet someone on on they're having a bad day, yeah. Or you might they might be insecure and saying certain things that is not really them yet, but you don't know them well enough yet. So, and I, as I said, you're saying eighty year old to your forty three year old self. I'm a little bit. You asked my missus, she would say, yeah, you're a nightmare. Like, you, you, can't, you can't hide the fact that you're not having this person yeah. or, or you've absolutely not given a chance. Like, how can you rule someone out so quickly? <laughs> Ruling them out, but, like, how can you, like, be switched off from someone that you don't even know yet? So, yeah, that, I, know, I know now that I need to be a lot better than that, and I am, I am better better at it now but I think you definitely for, are from over the last few years that yeah. your views and opinions that was so set on certain things have now mm. become more inquisitive of I wonder why they think like that yeah. where's that coming from rather than I'm, their opinions that this is mine it's like let me think about this a bit yeah more. I think because I was a footballer I think you're really self-obsessed a little yeah. bit and you want to you, you're like your main goal is just looking after yourself and whatever it, it takes but then the minute you get on the other side is, although it's football, 
and it's coaching, the mentoring aspect or the the human aspect is a lot broader to what you're used to. I mean, you used to go away from the training ground. That's when that the other stuff would maybe kick in because mm. do you want to be a good son or husband or brother or like whatever you want to be after that. Um, but I think automatically when you're a coach and especially when you're working with people that you can maybe have an influence with, i.e. younger players, um, you have to maybe evaluate a lot more a lot more of that. Um, and I think the your own personal growth of getting better yourself is like, well, what does it matter if you give that person an extra however long to for you to then switch off from him or, or yeah. rule them out. What 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 does it matter if you give them just longer? How are you when you're challenged with a certain view or opinion that you've got and someone's got a different one? Yeah, I'm I, they they have to convince me. Yeah. But I think there's nothing wrong in that. Um especially if it's something that I know that I know about. Um if we're talking football if you used to change my mind... Just general views of things that yeah. you're set for a reason, aren't you? Yeah. You know, like when Lou first invited you for a family meal, you're like, that's not yeah. normal. Well, actually, yeah. you realised it is. She was right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's also one of those things where it depends what you're talking about because I'm also... You're talking about being vulnerable. I have no problem admitting to not knowing something if I don't know it. Mm. But if I have an opinion on it, if you're going to change my opinion, you better you better argue it well or you better impose your opinion well enough for me to evaluate what my opinion is. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I just think is, and as I said, I don't think there's anything wrong in making people earn the right to convince you otherwise. Um, but you have to give them an opportunity to be able to do that. Otherwise, yeah. who, are you, who are you to think that you're, only your opinion matters? I think being open... Um, to change as a coach is huge as well. Like no one plays football how they used to play football 30 years ago. I mean, I only have to w watch some of the games that I played in when I was playing and people used to talk about our oh, Rude Hullet's team play sexy football and all play great football. I've watched our games back. And if we was playing, if a team was playing like how we played in a lot of those games today, they would be called a, a long ball team. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just times change and mm. you have to evaluate. And um, I think being a coach is getting the balance between being knowing what you want and knowing what you're demanding from others or how you want your team to play, but also being open to tweaking and, and maybe changing things if, if need be or if it means that, do you know what, I'll experiment. Like, do you want to experiment to become maybe better or to maybe add different aspects to your game. Do you want to? Do you want to be creative? You can't be creative if you're just copying. Um, you've got to have an element of okay. I want to try this, and yeah. if you you got to be brave to try it as well. So as I said, there's so many facets to being a a coach. Is kind of what what I enjoyed about it. And, and if you looked at your your football career, just football career, and you looked back from start to when it finished. And someone that you didn't know said to you, "What you know? What was your football career like? What would your response be to them?" Uh, regardless of whether I didn't know him or not, if you used to ask me if my football playing career, if I'm being brutally honest, I'd go slightly underwhelming for what I should have done. Um, I know that I achieved quite a lot 
but at the same time, I also didn't reach my full potential and I also didn't do as well as I could have done um, as far as being as prepared as I could have been, um, living my life as well as I could have could have done. Um, so as much as I don't want to play it down because it's, it's a long time has passed now, I'm nearly 10 years retired. Um, there were aspects of my career that could have gone a lot better. Um, in saying that, I also know that I achieved quite a lot from maybe what could have happened. And any of them things in your playing career that you look at now, in your management career that you've learned from, like you talked about their preparation, living how you, I mean, 20 years ago, nobody lived how an athlete lives now. Mm. It's a different era, isn't it? But is there certain things that you look at as a football player that you think, do you know what, now I'm a coach, manager, hopefully soon to be manager again. I need to have learned from that from my playing career and take into my managerial career. Yeah, I, I think um, just trying to understand every individual player sometimes can be hard because of how many of them there is. If you gave the time to every individual player, you wouldn't get anything done. Mm. Um, so I think managing the... It's not really going from a player to a coach's aspect, but I didn't manage my time that well away from the training ground. I could have managed my time a lot better. Yeah. Um, so I would say managing my time as far as in where you'd focus your energy on, whether it be from a team aspect, whether it be from an individual aspect, whether it be from a mentoring aspect, or whether it's managing it from, I need to not think about football today. Um, I, I've worked with and know people that literally delegate a, a day where they don't talk about football and they really? turn their phone off. Um, I know that because it was a manager who done it, but it's like at the same time, I, I think that's important as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, and also there's, there's so many different facets to it, but you could, you also dedicate a day where you want to be creative. You might sit in a room for a long period of time and try and come up with certain training sessions to hit a certain topic that you want to address, mm. which you've then challenged yourself to go, right, I'm going to do this certain training session because it's going to be mine and mine only and it's going to have no influence from previous sessions that I've had before. Might not work, mm. but at least you've dedicated a little bit of time to coming up with something new. Um, when when you, you look at... See, you're very reflective, aren't you? You're very honest with certain things, underwhelming, mm -hmm. but I also very appreciative that I did do lots of great things. Looking forward to your 80-year-old self looking back, as you sit here with me now. Imagine us sat here when we're both 80. What's something that you'd like to share with me that you've accomplished over the next 37 years? Something you've gone on to do that's maybe inside you that you feel that I want to go after that. What would it be? I want to be a successful manager at first team level. Um, that's my ideal dream would be to be a successful manager at first team level. I mean, I've, I've done it at under 18 level um, and it's something that I miss. I miss being in charge, I miss managing. Um, but successful doesn't necessarily mean oh, going on to win a load of things. I think sometimes there's a lot of stats and that can get thrown around um, for sort of like successful managers and stuff, which by the way, a load of them are, 
mm. um, with stats. But if I was to tell you that the biggest one who has an influence on me is not just because he's won loads, but if I'm talking about Pep Guardiola, it'd be the way in which his teams have made me feel over the years. Not, it doesn't matter that they, like people always go, oh, he hasn't won the Champions League at Man City. And I'm like, all right, he hasn't, but I'll tell you what, they've been the best team in the Champions League many a year mm -hmm. and right, haven't managed to get over the line. But it's not always about, okay, the dream is to perform and to influence people's views on football, which he has done and he's, he's managed to do that and win all the time. Um, but that's the kind of impact that I would love to have on on other young managers or young coaches is that they'd look at the team and go, yeah, but what about when they do this and have you talking about football, not just like, oh yeah, they won, mm -hmm. they won again or they won. It's like, if we're talking, there's plenty of great managers that have been before Pep. I'm sure there'll be great managers that will come after him. Um, but it's the way in which he his teams get you, they're so thought-provoking and you want to know how he coaches that or why have you? Why is he thinking? Because there's plenty of times that I've watched his teams and gone, yeah, I don't get that. I don't, but I'm looking at someone that I believe is the best of the best. So me not getting it is okay. Yeah. But I'd want to know why someone like that would be making those decisions or thinking like that. But yeah, I, I would say that I'd like to have a successful management career at first team level and as I said it's it might be that you you manage to accomplish things with a lot of homegrown players or on a small budget or you might have just played a certain way really quickly after the previous manager played a certain the polar opposite um that's something you certainly achieved at at Derby and at Chelsea wasn't it with the homegrown without question the amount of young people that made debuts and, and, and wasn't just because you was there, they've now gone on as well. Yeah. You gave them that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think if you speak to anyone in football, ideally, let's get it right, if everything was perfect, you'd want a lot of the players in the first team to be homegrown. Mm. It means they're f more than likely from the area or not too far. They've come through, they, like, do you know what I mean? It's, I was a homegrown and was lucky enough to play for my team that I supported as a boy but I think ideally that's what you like to see in fans <laughs> especially if the fans that are uh, match day travelling fans you can't get any more more of an affinity with your football club than someone coming through the ranks I know like the game's global now and you've got fans that are living in different parts of the world and that's absolutely welcome as well and obviously the bigger the club, the more fans you have all over the world and you, that you want to try and touch every fan you can. But match day travelling fans, there's no bigger affinity than when someone's come through the ranks. And, it, and I think it is all about that connection with that person, isn't it? When I come to watch your cup final against Arsenal for the Youth Cup, the fans are all singing, he's one of our own. Mm. Uh, and, and you could, that, that just... He's one of us. Mm. It's so different, isn't it? And that's right. Not to say that others aren't welcome, but there's a special connection. When you look at the year above us at Lillishaw with Jamie Carragher that went on to play for Liverpool and Steven Gerrard that played for Liverpool and Wes Brown that was a year below us at Lillishaw that mm. 
Manchester United is something special, isn't it, with that human connection that they see you as one of them. And you've continued that really, haven't you? Because when you went back as manager, the fans still see you as that. And do you get that now when you're out and about with Chelsea fans that they still see you are Chelsea? Yeah, I think so. Because one, I was lucky enough to then go back to the club and obviously people then still see me at the club and whenever I do interviews and all that, it's obviously a, a familiar question that people would want to talk about the fact that I am a massive Chelsea fan. And I've, I've said it many a time, there's not anyone that's grown up as close to the, the ground and played for the club as many times as me and then was lucky enough to be sat in the dugout on the coaching staff. Um, and even now that I'm not there and I'm still very much a Chelsea supporter and obviously interested in what's going on now that they've got the new manager and Graham Potter and stuff like that. It, I think people know that whenever you, you're talking about Chelsea, as, as much as I wasn't the most successful player to play, I think people know that there's a certain level of Chelsea in me that is not in your average player that's played for the club. Mm. And, and you look at that now, and do you sit and watch Chelsea as that eager fan hoping they do well or do you analyse what they do do you look at it from a football fan's point of view or from a football man's point of view I think I'll always be a fan obviously but I'll, I still can't change the way that I watch football matches so regardless of before I went back to Chelsea regardless when I was watching Jose coach or manage the club or Antonio um, after him when Tuchel was manager, now it'll be with Graham Potter. I'm, I'm a fan, first and foremost, but I still can't change the way that I watch the football match in being that I'll still want to see it how I want to see it from an analytic point of view. And um, if I'm not happy or don't understand or disagree with some of the things that is going on from that manager's perspective, I still will feel that. It's not yeah. just I'm not won't be just a fan of whatever he says goes because as I said I've got my views on on football and I think I'm very comfortable in how I view and see things. Um, so I'll still always have that. Yeah, I wouldn't tell people. I have. I would never go and tell people <laughs> yeah. exactly what I'm thinking while while the game's going on. Just purely from the aspect of respect, first and foremost. Um, and two, it's it's for me to know unless. Obviously, I'm in an environment where people want to know yeah. uh, what my opinion is. But yeah, there's an intention. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I could go out on Twitter every time I'm watching Chelsea play and say exactly what I'm thinking, but yeah. that that I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to the level of which I could do because, yeah. as I said, I'm I am a fan as well. As much as I have my opinions on what's going on, I wouldn't I wouldn't put my opinions out there out of respect for the for the great managers that have been and gone at Chelsea. And when you talk about Pep Guardiola there with such kind of uh, like admiration, did you ever did you play against him when he was in the Champions League? Yeah. Was he the one that you you was told to go up against, or was that Savvy? No, no. So it was it was Guardiola that sort of prep that we was it was in two thousand in the Champions League quarterfinal, and in the two days in the build up, Vialli had told me I was playing, and then told me I had to do a certain role on Guardiola, and obviously even back then I loved watching Spanish football and I loved Guardiola. So inside I was absolutely buzzing. <laughs> one that I was playing, but two, I'm going to play against one of my footballing heroes. 
And yeah, then on the day, hour and a half before kickoff, it was announced that Guardiola was not playing, he's injured and it's Xavi. And people didn't really realise who Xavi was at that time. He was 19, I was 20, he was 19. And uh, yeah, so first and foremost, I was buzzing that when I got in the tunnel and saw him, he wasn't that big. So yeah. I was like, oh, nice to play up against, like playing against you in, <laughs> in the 50s. Um, but then seeing, right, oh, okay. And then it was Chavi the first leg and we managed to beat him 3-1 and uh, we done okay. And then I played against Guardiola in the second leg at the, the new Camp and kind of saw, I kind of like the the top man and then the one who was going to become the top man in opposite. How was opposite that then against Chavi then when you've already prepped for Guardiola but then you're against Chavi? Well, lucky enough, we, Albert Ferrer was playing and he'd been at Barcelona a couple of years before and basically just said, just treat him exactly the same mm. um, because he is the next Guardiola. And um, yeah, Chavi then went on to become one of the greatest players of all time in, in that position. Um, how did you get? How did you get on that night in terms of your performance? I played well against yeah. him, um, but you can you can see you could see that he was a player. Do you know what I mean? Um, a, a lot was made of that because he he made a couple of comments that I was his toughest opponent. Like ten years later, or it wasn't ten; it was about seven years later. I was doing interviews for like Barcelona radio and stuff because it was his testimonial year, and he'd named me as his toughest opponent. Um, wow. And a lot of people had gone, oh, you know, when they so many times down the years or over the like, it's like, oh, Chavi said you're the best he's played against. And I was like, yeah, it wasn't that. It was toughest purely and simply because I followed him all over the pitch, <laughs> which Viali wanted me to do. Um, but yeah, he wasn't at that point who he eventually went on to become, but he was clearly a top player already. I mean, you're not playing for Barcelona at 19 around that, that, that era as well of that team that had Figo, Rivaldo, Cliver in like I mean, you're not getting in those teams if if you're not a top top player and then obviously we see what what Xavi went on to become but yeah great experience and obviously it was almost felt a lot better years later when he's winning World Cups and European Championships and being absolute well now the manager of Barcelona but absolute legend of the game and the fact that he's knew what my name was was all right you know what I mean well you think back Xavi and Guardiola they're the players that I, I would sit and watch them all day mm. even now I watch clips my son that loves football mm. watch this what, just watch how he manipulates the ball mm. you were like you. that was your ilk you was that style of player though wasn't you you was like a Xavi Guardiola that was your way of playing and you might not uh, like me saying this but there's no doubt at that era when you're breaking through to Chelsea's first team, you was of that ilk, not just for potential, but that is how you played. Mm. And I often say this to people and people won't get it because they see Chavi that becomes a superstar, Guardiola becomes a superstar. And I say, I'm telling you now, Jody Morris was in that category, no doubt about it, for, for levels of ab ability and potential. And for whatever reason, you don't get to the Chavi and uh, Guardiola levels for sustained periods. But ability-wise, you were certainly, in my view, from knowing you and watching you, you were certainly in that. You, I don't think there's much they could do that you couldn't do. And I'm not being biased because you're a great friend of mine. I look at it and think, what could they do on that pitch that Jody couldn't do? Maybe a bit more pace, Chavi, a little bit, but not much more. How do you feel about that? Do you inside think, I, I agree, 
when I was at my best, I had that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's an element where you go, I, I think if certain players, when maybe I was coming through, the, uh, the reason why I got my debut so young was because Glenn Hoddle was manager and he wanted to play football a certain way. Um, he then left the next season to become England manager. I think if if teams in England were playing back then how they're being taught to play now, um, I might have done a bit better. I mean, a lot of the time, a lot of the teams I played in were 4-4-2 and mm. the, our league was totally different. Um, being Like I said, people thought that we played great football with, under Rude Hullet and I look back and go, that's not great football. Ball to the fullback, straight up, straight up the pitch. Now, if you're seeing some of those passes, you're like, um, yeah, there, there's plenty of opportunity to pass through the lines and keep the ball. But no, listen, Chavi's an all-time great. Do I think there was similar attributes? I'd say, yeah, but Without you, certainly, you certainly can't compare the two of us. I mean, he was just an outrageous footballer. But, but it, I um, think... The comparison isn't careers, you know. Yeah, I've, I, I, no, and, and you're right, yeah. I've had plenty of conversations with people that have been in football and say, yeah. Um, and you think, what, pretty you know, when you, I remember you training with England, first team set up and mm. everyone come away for it saying, Jody Morris, Jody Morris, all the young, the Lampards, the Ferdinands, all of those that ever saw you at that level at such a young age was, he's the one. He's the one with the most ability. So you, without question, careers, different comparison, but... Ilk style abilities without quick. I, I remember Keith Blunt. I was sub in an England game, and um, it was a it was a friendly game, and you got the ball in midfield, and two players come at you, and you moved the ball from your right foot to your left foot, and went between both of them. And I remember Keith Blunt being sat there, and went, "That's world class. That that's world class. What he just did, because you was every England game I ever played in with you, he was always the best player on the field." And and, I, and I'm proud that I got to share an England shirt with you with the three lines on a chest, play for England together. I know under 15s it didn't happen very often because they played a big one with a small one and yeah. me and you alternated. But <laughs> under 16s that philosophy went out of the way and we played three in midfield so we got to play together a lot more. And yeah. I sit here now and I think, isn't it incredible that all those years of reminiscing on what went well, what didn't go well, we're still sat here now with a lifetime in front of us mm. and you're talking about in football you know, you'd like to create something more than just results, create something going forward in terms of a manager. Is there anything outside of sport that you look at and go, that's my focus as a, as a sportsman? Outside of football, these are some of the things that I want to accomplish. Um, if I'm being honest, I only look at family stuff. I only want to be a good dad. Um, whether in, in the future I then become a, a granddad, hopefully it's a long time away. Mm. I, I, I don't know, I think they're the things that um, accomplishments and stuff is like, uh, some people have, and I'm not knocking anybody to do this, but some people have trophies and uh, football shirts up in their house and blah, blah, blah. All that sort of stuff don't interest me. I want to be a good dad. I want to look after my family. Um, and hopefully in, in the future, get me golf handicap down. I know you said don't mention sport, get me golf <laughs> handicap down now that I've discovered golf. But um, yeah, and be like, as I said, I want to grow old with the missus and watch our kids flourish. Um, we're 
very, very proud of what our, both our kids have achieved already. And I'll, I'm more kind of in the future away from football or away from coaching or whatever. I'm more interested in kind of where that's going to go mm. compared to anything else. And when you look back on your life so far, what's the one of the most proudest accomplishments in sport? We'll keep it in sport for now. Just my debut, really. Mm. I would, I get asked about stuff, and I know we can say winning certain things or being, but playing for the club that I grew up supporting and just making my debut has always been the one that's kind of stuck out for me. Being able to play for my local team that happened to be a team that was on the rise and the first first team really in this country that was really looking outside to foreigners and um being able to come through it in an area that was that was difficult if he was homegrown because mm -hmm. of the the level and playing which they was getting through the door especially in my position <laughs> and what's something that you're most proud of yourself so far for being able to overcome and not letting it keep you down because you've been through lots of tough times like many people when you look back, what do you think? Do you know what? I'm pleased that I had enough about me to go again after that. It, it, do you know what? It's, it's probably... It's probably being able to kind of forget some of the things that have happened or gone on in my life. And I don't, I don't really want to go into them on here. But it's being able to just be okay with kind of what's gone on and not let it kind of eat away at you. As I said, you, we can have, there's certain things that have gone on which were out of my hands and that were um, nothing to do with me type stuff that is being able to just kind of let that go is probably one of the things that I'm enjoying that I'm getting better at because a lot of stuff that I kind of held on to a lot of crap that went on yeah. in my life a, a, a long a long while ago and it it, it did it, did nobody any favours and probably harmed me in who I was and how I was. So just being able to kind of park it and not let it affect me as much as it did is is probably one of the things that I'm I'm glad that I'm I'm better at. Still not totally uh, as good as I would like to be, but I'm better at kind of forgetting certain things that. It's have gone such on. a gift to be able to do that, though, because it is like poison, isn't it? Whether yeah. it's whether it's relationships, friendships, money, whatever it is, if you're holding a bit of, if you think of a situation and you feel that resentment towards mm. it, it's just poison. It's difficult, and because I am, I, I'm, if I like somebody or I'm, I value them when things don't go well from a personal aspect, it bothers me a lot. Mm. And I think being able to, I've, in the last, God knows how many years, there'll be a few relationships that are, are maybe not the relationships they once were. Mm. Um, and it, it bothers me, it bothers, it does bother me when I value the person, but I've kind of realized and getting to getting better at knowing, do you know what? Sometimes, some sometimes thing you you go apart from some people, and it will come back round, which has happened, which has happened to me already. Mm. But as I said, it's um, 
letting it affect me as much as maybe it did at a time, whether it be that I'm down about it, whether like it's bothering me or whether I get angry about it is kind of don't really matter what one it is as long as you can deal with it a bit better than maybe what I have done in in the past as I said there's certain relationships or certain friendships or connections that you have with people that sometimes you need to come apart for a little bit and, and I think always I, I as I've got older I've looked at it and thought if I, if I believe I've done all that I can to make that the best that I can and it's not right then I'm okay with that. I think sometimes if a relationship's not gone how you wanted it to and you're thinking inside, I could have done a bit more or said a bit more. Mm. I think that eats away at me more than uh, knowing maybe could I, could I go back? Could Like when me and you lost contact for quite a few years and I reached out to you and said, let me know when you're free, I'll come and see you. You know, I came to your wedding for many years. We didn't have much contact, not, mm. not for any reason other than just lives. Mm. And I travelled to Stamford Bridge and watched you play in a charity match and we sat in a bar all night till about five in the morning and we just sat chatting and, and I remember saying to you that night that I'd made a commitment to myself that my friendships that I valued, I was going to put more time and effort into with the mentality of if I'm gone tomorrow, I wish I would lay there thinking, I wish I'd have kept contact with Jodie. Mm. I wish I'd have made more effort with that person. And that was probably 10 years ago or whatever that was. And since then I've followed that because then I know if for whatever reason our friendship is no longer, I can go, I believe I invested my effort there. And whatever reason, it weren't reciprocated. Mm. So I'm cool to let it go. Relationships in my life that have affected me that haven't worked when I think I'm the one there. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, and then when I go back to do more, if it's not received well, I'm cool with that. And I think you're so right in terms of being able to let things go because there's so many things will happen consistently going forward that can eat away at us. Yeah. And when it eats away, it slows you down. And, and also, it's, it's actually, even if it is you, mm. like I'm sure I've, I'm at fault for some of the things that I'm talking about. Um, even if it is you, as long as sometimes you do then go, ah, oh, was it me? And is it the right time for me to now try and make amends yeah. or to try and explain certain things? Um, then I think that's enough. And sometimes, by the way, there's sometimes we're going, no, do you know, I'm not ready to do that yet. Yeah. Even if I think I am a little bit in the wrong or a lot in the wrong or not in the wrong, in the wrong at all, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not ready to mm. be okay with that. There's certain things, as I said, I'm miles better at it. I don't, I don't, if I fall out with people that I really value, we might not speak for a, a few years, don't mean that I don't ever stop wishing them well. Um, it's rare that it's ever gone away and then I'm, I'm kind of totally switched off. Um, mm. But I think it's whenever you're ready to and you, you're okay with, it's not right now, but it might be in the future. Because sometimes you've got, without, you've got more important things sometimes that you're going, do you know what, it's, it's probably not the right time to revisit that. Because sometimes it is opening old wounds or talking about saying it's going to make the other person uncomfortable and you uncomfortable and then usually it ends up being all right yeah but there's still sometimes we go yeah not quite not quite now <laughs> i think that's the beauty of real friendship as well mm. is that irrelevant of whether we never spoke for a few years back then it wasn't so easy like yeah. do you know what i mean <laughs> but whenever we did speak or whenever we met up and it was like 
yeah, we're still really close. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we ain't seen each other for, which is sometimes hard to um, attach to really good friendships. But it's true. We're all older. We all got our own families. We've all got different jobs or different areas in the world you could be in or whatever. But I think that when you, a true friend, when you ain't spoke or and you meet up or whether someone just messages out the blue, the, a real friend is the one where you go, you don't make anybody feel bad for that because there's no ill intention involved in not speaking, unless there's a reason why you ain't speaking. But do you know what I mean? When yeah. there isn't, it don't really matter to yeah. real friends. Like, All right, would we like to have seen each other more over them? Probably, mm. but did it matter? It, did, it didn't. It's just mm. where you were and where I was at the time. Yeah, and there's yeah. no awkwardness or no. such and such didn't drop me a message on my birthday. It's like that's yeah. a bit superficial if that's, yeah. it's just that, you know, if you dropped up, if I called you and said, Jerry, I could really do with something, yeah. I know I could ring you. Mm. And and that's, I hope, mirrored because I well, think... Well, you know it is it. I've, I've done it with you. Yeah. I've done it to involve a family matter. And it was like, I had no qualms or no hesitation in ringing and asking for your help because yeah. I knew you had more experience and more expertise in that area than I had. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like I said, I don't think there's, you can't kind of overestimate those moments of when you go, do you know what, I'm going to, I don't, I don't view it as anything big, like yeah. me personally. It, it is, but like if you used to, asked me to do something, it'd be like, if I can, yeah, I will, you're me mm. mucker. If so, if you'd have said no, I'd have gone, mm, that's not very, <laughs> it's not very friendly, like, is it? But like, yeah, I knew that you, and then after, because of the type of person you are, I know that you, you've even been thinking of that when maybe we, we haven't, because it's been a little bit better. Mm. And you're still like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that, the whole point of why I asked you is because of things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and often, Jerry, I think it's that, you know, not having to ask as well, because just like, for example, when I came to do some work with Chelsea about five years ago, I, I never once said to you when you as a Chelsea youth manager, can you get me in there? Can you know, I would never put our friendship and you rang mm. me and said, I've had a chat with Neil Bath, head of academy. I think, I, I think what you do, we could value. You've got a meeting with him. So I came and met the two of you next minute. Like you said to me, I'll get you to meet and it's up to you then to mm. do what you can do. And you know, and, and, and that was great that I was in your mind and out of the blue, you just messaged me and said, mm. might be an opportunity to come and do some work with Chelsea if you fancy it. I was like, that's what dreams are made of for me, mm. working with organisations of, of that ilk. So I think sometimes it's just having that group that someone goes, you know what, I think my mate could do with a bit of help there or let me open a door for him. Mm. And I'm grateful that you did that for me because I recently went back again. It was unbelievable. I'm bumping into people that I saw five years mm. ago and... What's really cool is I've got videos of me doing two-touch and beating some of these guys that are now Premiership stars. I'm going to keep on my phone forever. Mm. Is there a question that you'd, or anything you'd like to ask me before we wrap up today? Um, I've asked you lots of things. No, not really. Not, not on, this, on this podcast, no. Not, as I said, I've, I think there's quite a lot me and you both know, and it's more being put on the spot to say, yeah, can you answer this question? Can you, was this a difficult, like you said, we might be sitting out there for a coffee in yeah. an hour and a half and I'll go, there's the answer. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. here's my question, do you yeah. know what I mean? But I think, as I said, it's, as much as this is very easy and open talking with each other, 
there are some moments where if you're asking a question and you're actually on the spot, there's a reason why they called it on, on the spot. <laughs> because yeah. it's like, well, yeah, I ain't got the answer yet. And what I've loved about this is that you asked for, and neither did I give you any anything coming into this in terms of, I'm going to ask you about this. It's just like, let's talk. Let's go where it goes. Yeah. And it's just, we've been sat here probably two hours just chatting and we couldn't, mm. me and you have sat for five hours, haven't we? Just one-on-one, -on -one, mm. just talking about all different things. And I think that's something that's lost a little bit now. Not one of us has checked a phone because obviously we're filming, but when I sit down with people, I sit down with them and I want to be with them in their company. Mm. And it's always a pleasure when I get a chance to come and catch up with you. And I really do value your time that you've put in today. Same. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next one because there's no doubt about it. I've always believed this in you that you will go on and do the things that you want to do because you always have done and you always will do. You've got that ingredient of what I believe it takes to be successful in anything. It's a desire for more because of where you've come from, where you've got to is just outstanding. So thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it, mate. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the From Nowhere to Somewhere podcast. I'd be really honoured, grateful and super appreciate any shares and subscribes possible. Please give this to any family, friends and loved ones anywhere in the world that you feel could take value from what you've just heard too. Thank you so much for your support. I look forward to speaking to you real soon on the next episode. From me to you, have a wonderful day. Take care. All my love, energy, inspiration. Luke Staten.